Two weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan pointed out that in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16, we are, so to speak, in, in Jesus' school of discipleship, in the upper room on the night of the Last Supper, the night before his crucifixion. We continue today in Jesus' school of discipleship in the upper room on the night of the Last Supper, the night before his crucifixion. I invite you now to open your Bible or a pew Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 14. We begin the reading where we left off last Sunday at verse 15 through the end of the chapter. And Jesus promised to his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit to them to guide them into all truth. That is his promise, the the basis on which we now pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would send forth the Holy Spirit upon us afresh to open our minds and to open our hearts. For you, Spirit of the living God, breathed out this word through your apostles and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture so that we might know the truth which is in Jesus. And we pray now that you will, you will do that which you, what you have promised and grant to us spiritual understanding so that we might receive this word as the word of the living God. To the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. The words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is written, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. For at this point, Judas Iscariot had already left the company of Jesus and the disciples to go out with his plot to betray him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And now unto him who has freed us from our sins, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, in verses 15 through 31, there are three interwoven threads uh, which weave their way through the passage or, or themes which recur over and over again throughout the passage. And these three interwoven threads, recurring themes are, number one, the evidence of true discipleship, number two, the power for true discipleship, and number three, the security in true discipleship. Number one, the evidence of true discipleship. Number two, the power for true discipleship. Number three, the security in true discipleship. So number one, the evidence of true discipleship. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Jesus repeats this at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he repeats it at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then at verse 24, as if to emphasize the point by the the negative opposite, Jesus says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So you've got this thread at verse 15, 21, 23, and 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The evidence of true discipleship is true love for Jesus made evident by the keeping of His commandments. Now this is not only... Um, This is not only uh, Jesus' word of uh, admonition and encouragement to the disciples, it's also his word of promise. True disciples will love him and they will keep his commandments. And we'll get to that in point number two, the power for true discipleship. But the point is, is that Jesus, as Jesus calls them to continue in true discipleship after his departure, He's giving them a word of encouragement and a word of assurance both at the same time. Now this is Jesus' definition of discipleship. This is Jesus' definition of real love for Him. 
And we, like the original disciples, are called to show our love for Jesus by keeping His commandments. True love for Jesus is not seen in mere emotional expression. For example, the disciples' shock and grief after His crucifixion. No. And, and nor is it seen today in, in religious emotionalism without commitment or religious sentimentality, sweet and sugary sentimentality or spiritual car- curiosity and openness to spiritual things, spiritual ideas. certainly not shown by apathetic, check the box, church attendance. Those things are not evidence of love for Jesus and are therefore not evidence of true discipleship. Jesus made it simply and perfectly clear the real evidence of true love for Him is the keeping of His commandments. That is the evidence of true discipleship. And what Jesus says here is quite similar to what He says elsewhere. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, let's understand Jesus' point clearly and correctly. It's not that we earn His favor, earn His love, earn our salvation by our obedience to His commands. That would be to get the cart before the horse. Jesus' point is simply this. If we really love Him because we know, we know in our hearts that He has saved us by His grace and by His power, by dying on the cross in our stead for the forgiveness of our sins, if we really love Him, we will keep His commandments. This is the difference between outward profession of faith and inward possession of faith. True Christian faith is not merely a matter of believing some things about Jesus. True discipleship is a matter of believing in Jesus, which means... Right. It's, it's about Him and entrusting and submitting and surrendering the totality of our lives to Him out of love for Him, which then bears the fruit of keeping His commandments. 
And when Jesus speaks of keeping his commandments in the context of the upper room, last supper, farewell discourse in these chapters, we might think immediately of three specific commands which Jesus gave to his disciples on that night. A, that they and we serve one another in humility. Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet was an illustration of that. And B, that we love one another as he has loved us, faithfully, unfailingly, forgivingly, self-sacrificially. And C, that we remain faithful to Jesus despite all the opposition we face. Because following him in this world, we will have tribulation. But in addition to these upper room commandments, we have the words of Jesus through the apostles in the entirety of the New Testament. And in fact, we have Jesus' words and commandments in the precepts and principles and moral law of the Old Testament. You see, keeping his commandments means obeying his word throughout all of Holy Scripture. So the question is, are you regularly reading and meditating on His Word, His commands written in Scripture? And are you, are you seeking to obey them and put them into practice? There simply cannot be any true and real discipleship apart from the personal study, personal meditation upon, and personal application of God's Word in Scripture. There's no way to live as a disciple of Jesus apart from having His Word dwell within us. Now, don't be discouraged by the fact that you've not obtained sinless perfection in your life of discipleship. No one does in this life. But is it your deliberate, conscious intention to keep Jesus' commandments because you love Him? That's the question. That's the question. Now, you can do your own private heart check when you wake up in the morning. Do you ask the Lord every day? Do you ask the Lord for His grace and the power to keep His commandments? Do you, with a desire to live for Jesus as His disciple, read some portion of His Word every day and meditate on it with the intention of putting it into practice? Do you go through your ordinary day every day consciously considering the ways in which you can personally keep His commandments in a way that shows your love for Him and glorifies His name? That's that's the question of real discipleship. Don't be deceived. Don't be deluded. Don't be falsely comforted. Dress up, show up, check the box, cultural churchianity. 
is not real discipleship. True discipleship is loving the one who went to the cross for you and therefore keeping his commands in real ways, in real time, in real life, every day. Well, how, you may ask, and where do we get the power to live this way as his true disciple with true love and true obedience? And that gets us to thread number two, theme number two interwoven through this passage, the power for true discipleship. To those who truly love Jesus and keep his commandments, he gives this promise in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. This is Jesus' promise of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his true disciples. Jesus repeats this promise. The, The thread recurs again in verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And again at verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. It occurs later in the passage as well. We'll get to that. But the power for true discipleship comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus calls us to keep His commandments, He does not leave us on our own or to our own pitiful resources. As we seek to show our love for Jesus by keeping His commands, He will supply us with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Helper. In the historical context of the upper room, Last Supper, farewell discourse, on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus was reassuring his original 11 disciples that his absence from them would not leave them bereft as orphans in this world. In this original historical context on the night of the Last Supper, this was Jesus' prophecy of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, after his ascension into heaven, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles and the other believers in Jerusalem, and then subsequently to all believers throughout history. And so when at verse 18 he said, I will come to you, Jesus was referring to his coming to them and subsequently to all believers in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And at verse 26, Jesus repeats the promise, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now again, on the night of the Last Supper, in this original historical context, first of all, this refers to the divine inspiration of the New Testament. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the prophecy of the Holy Spirit speaking through the apostles as they write the New Testament. The Holy Spirit brought all things that Jesus had taught them to their remembrance. What a tremendous blessing that is to us. We have the evidence 
of the work of the Holy Spirit right here. And the Spirit and the Word work together to bring us to Jesus Christ and to unite us to Jesus Christ and to empower us with the life of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous blessing. But, you see, Jesus' words also apply to believers today as we, as we carefully, humbly, prayerfully, thoughtfully study and meditate upon the Word of God in Scripture. I hope you can see, it, it is, these are interwoven threads, and they're sort of hard to untangle in a way, but there's a very close connection throughout this passage of Jesus and the Spirit and the Word, as we see, the Father, a few minutes. The same Spirit who breathed out the Word of God also breathes upon true disciples today to renew our minds spiritually, to open our hearts to the Word of God, to cause us to remember, to, to bring to our own remembrance the promises of God. And to sanctify our lives with the truth of God's written word and to give us the power to keep his commandments. And the letters of Paul, Colossians and Ephesians particularly, we, we see that. And this is really key. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Believers are continually, that is continually Filled. Believers are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. How? Through the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Ephesians 4, 18. Colossians 3, 16. We are continually filled with the Holy Spirit through the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And by means of the Spirit and the Word, it is Christ Himself who dwells in our hearts by faith. By means of the Word and the Spirit, it is Christ Himself who dwells in our hearts by faith. This is, a, this is personal, experiential, Existential, if you will, Christian experience. And please note that Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as a person, not as an impersonal force, not as an it. He is the third person of the Trinity who lives in eternal fellowship with the Father and the Son. Jesus said to the eleven, You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. Verse 17. Well, the Holy Spirit dwelt with them, the apostles, when Jesus was with them, physically and visibly. You see that? He dwells with you. The Holy Spirit dwelt with them, when Jesus dwelt with them, physically and visibly. But he will be in you. You see, in Jesus' absence from them, the Holy Spirit would dwell in them. And, and the same is true for us. 
And in that light, listen again to verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Absent from them, absent from us, after his ascension into heaven, Jesus would come to them. Come to us. How? In the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. As J.C. Ryle commented, the Holy Spirit is sent to fill up all that is lacking while Christ's visible presence is removed. The void is filled. Or in the words of another writer, I love this, whenever and wherever the Spirit comes, He brings Jesus with Him. Oh yes, He brings Jesus with Him. Now, that is a wonderful way to say it. This is the point. The Holy Spirit brings the presence and power of Jesus to us while he is absent from us. This is the reason that before his ascension into heaven, Jesus could say to the apostles, I am with you always. How does this work? Well, in verse 16, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as another helper. See, even in that verse, we we find this indivisible union between Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, by implication, is referring to himself and to the Holy Spirit as another helper. The Greek word is paraclete, meaning one who is called alongside. Other English translations use the word comforter in the sense of strengthener, fort to fire, comfort, fort to fire, and also advocate. It's all the same Greek word. In the first letter of John, Jesus is called our advocate with the Father. Jesus at the right hand of God the Father Almighty is our legal representative, our defense against all the accusations of Satan. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and certain plea. He is for us, our advocate. At the right hand of God the Father Almighty, interceding for us in heaven. We have an advocate in heaven. Jesus uses the same word in verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you. So just as believers have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous, so also true believers have an advocate on earth. The Holy Spirit dwelling in them. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, helping us in our weakness, interceding for us with groanings too deep for words, assuring us that there is nothing in all creation which can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The presence of the Holy Spirit in believers is the presence of God Himself communicating to us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. And it is, this is experiential faith. 
This is personal knowledge. This is personal, experiential, heart knowledge, which, which in, in many ways is, is, is beyond my ability to uh, define or express any more than it's, you know, it's very difficult to, to uh, really define and, uh, and, and analyze and uh, articulate the experience of love when it gets right down to it. This is something you know, and you know that you know that you know in your heart. The love of God the Father through the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ, by the communion of the Holy Spirit, and it, was, it is to this spiritual experience to which Jesus refers when he says in these amazing words of verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Apostle Paul in the letter to Ephesians chapter 3 expresses a prayer it is a prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is a prayer for us. It is a prayer for you. It is a prayer for me that we, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, would be strengthened in our inner being so that we, in Christ, might know the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God and be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so perhaps we can say it like this. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the life of discipleship. And let me, let me just say, this is, this is something that we grow in. Right? Love, love is not a static thing, right? You loved your spouse on the day of your wedding. You love your spouse in a deeper, different, more multifaceted way today than you did 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? This isn't something, you know, you can just, you know, kind of work out like a math problem. This is life. This is real. You're created in the image of God. You have a soul. You have an inner being. You have a spirit. And, and, and you, you feel and you intuit and you, you, you grow in your experience of your love relationships with others. The same is true if we're in Christ. The same is true in our relationship with God. So the issue isn't where you are with that. Today, except 
Are you in this relationship with the living God, the true God through his son, Jesus Christ, by the grace, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are you seeking to grow in that? To grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. So, So perhaps we can say it like this. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives brings the presence of Jesus into our hearts. And in fellowship with Jesus, we have fellowship with the Father. The persons of the Trinity, we can distinguish Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. But we can never divide them. We can never separate them one from another. The presence of the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus into our hearts, and the presence of Jesus into our hearts brings us into fellowship with the Father because Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. They come to us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and all persons of the divine trinity in unity make their home with us and bestow their blessings upon the true disciples of Jesus. And so we experience God with us in this world. It's beyond our full comprehension. But, dearly beloved, it is the special privilege of the true Christian to know God. It is the special privilege of the true Christian to know God. God. This is eternal life, said Jesus, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is the special privilege of the true Christian to know the love of the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit and to grow in that knowledge of God. How do we come to such a knowledge of God? Again, It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in verse 18, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. What did he mean? By the power and grace of the Holy Spirit, believers see Jesus. The Holy Spirit opens the eyes of faith. And we see the majesty of His glory, the wonders of His love, the riches of His mercy, the beauty of His grace. We see the reality of His presence with us. Yes! Do you see Jesus? Do you see who He is? Do you see who He is for you? The blind worldling cannot see Him. The blind worldling can talk about Jesus. The blind worldling can think about Jesus. The blind worldling can debate about Jesus. But the blind worldling cannot see Jesus. When the Holy Spirit enlightens the eyes of our hearts, then we see Jesus. And we know in our hearts that He is the eternal Son of the eternal Father, the way and the truth and the life.
Where do we find the security, though, to follow Christ in this hostile world? Jesus was about to leave his disciples. They were scared. He had said strange things to them. One of you will betray me. Go. What you must do, do quickly. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. I am going away. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Can you imagine the anxiety of that night for the disciples? But, so where do we find the security to live as Jesus' disciples in now this very hostile world in which we live? Where do we find our security in the life of discipleship? Well, very quickly, we're going to look at the concluding verses 30 and 31. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Brothers and sisters, our security in discipleship is Jesus Christ himself. His words at the end of this passage declare his obedience to his Father on our behalf for our salvation. It was on our behalf that he went out from the upper room to meet the ruler of this world, that is, Satan. It was on our behalf for our salvation he went to Gethsemane and to Calvary. He who calls us to follow him went all alone to face the foe for us. Our security is in him. In his victory over sin, Satan, and the power of death, they had no hold on him. And they have no hold on those who hold on to Jesus. They have no hold on those who love him and keep his commandments by the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is truth. And for the spirit of truth, who guides us into all truth, indeed, in the way of him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Grant us grace, we pray. That now, having heard the promise of the gospel, with true love for Jesus, we may deny ourselves take up our cross daily, and follow him. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though in the the form of God, did not count the quality of God, anything to grasp, but made himself nothing, taking the 
found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every time confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 